0: live david land podcast it's the aj episode episode 14 um we just so you guys have missed a 12-hour podcast that no one will ever hear because kyle and i were in the car for an abnormally long amount of time driving to and from uh, the indycar doubleheader at iowa speedway which we lovingly refer to as cornchella Because there were four separate concerts during the weekend, in addition to two IndyCar races, as well as an Indy NXT race, or next, if you're actually smart and know what the heck you're talking about, which I certainly don't. But uh, I just want to say this. uh, This was the first IndyCar race I'd been back to uh, since uh, the Indianapolis 500. And that's not necessarily – I mean, it is by choice, but it's not necessarily – what I want to be doing. And uh, it was nice to be back. I'll I'll say that. Um, I mean, it it was like Kyle said it a couple of times uh, to various people throughout the weekend. We kind of felt like we were part of the furniture and uh, that was a nice way to feel. Um, So it's great to be back at the IndyCar races. And, um, you know, it it was funny on the grid. I hadn't been to a race as you know anybody important quote unquote or important enough to be on the grid in a while you know the last race I'd actually gone to believe it or not was the 24 hours of Le Mans and obviously I was just a fan there and uh, th- I just had a moment where I'm standing on the grid and I'm just kind of looking around and like there's Power, and like there's the front row of the grid and I'm just looking around I'm like oh my god there's a lot of important people and then I'm just standing here and uh, it was the first time in a while I'd had like imposter syndrome and I, I don't know Racing is like a a drug in a lot of ways, like you can build up a tolerance to it where if if you're in it for so long, you can kind of forget how cool the thing is that you get to do. And when you stay away from it for a little while and you come back to a lot of the privileges that that what we get to do allows us to have, it kind of reinvigorates you. So that's how I felt coming out of the Iowa weekend reinvigorated. Uh, Kyle, I know this was your first uh, cornchella and you have a lot of positive things to say about it. So just kind of start rambling about this thing.
1: Yeah, my first experience at Iowa Speedway was was pretty great. Um, This was not my first time in Iowa. I've been to two Knoxville Nationals. So like I'm kind of aware of the area and like where we were. Um, But new track for me, which I keep a list. I think it was like something like the. Close to the 50th or 40th track I've been to, period. Not in clowning, not counting go kart tracks, but uh, great facility, uh, is the first thing I'll say. Um, very great place to go see a race. Um, where we were, like, we didn't have tickets in the stands. Uh, that's the one thing on the short ovals for us is like we don't have like seats per se, so we kind of just have to like find a spot, uh, somewhere around the track. So we really only got a shot of the back straight from where we watched. Uh, But I'm sure it'd be even cooler um, to be able to, like, at a track like that where you can see the entire track uh, from the stands uh, as the fans did. So the experience was great. The concerts... David's not a concert goer. No. I kind of am. I've never, like, paid... I've never, like, bought a ticket to go to a concert. Whenever I go to a concert, it's somebody... It's just like, we're going to a concert. You're coming with us. So like, but I enjoy them. I I really do. I just don't choose to go to them normally, but um, got to see four concerts and they were awesome. They were all big names. And the great part for me was like, I'm not, believe it or not, the the person who like would turn on Carrie Underwood on purpose in the car or like Kenny Chesney or I have listened to Zach Brown, Brand, I will say, or Ed Sheeran. I, I like they're not. Artists that I would just like, cause I, I'm more of like a Green Day, you know, like I, I'll listen to that, or like EDM, uh. But they all had songs that I have heard on the radio countless times, and probably know most, and I know most of the words of, and I really do enjoy them. But they're all concerts that I wouldn't have like chose to go and see, uh, if they weren't at an IndyCar race. So that's very cool to be able to get to see those people. Uh that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And they were very good. Iowa as a concert venue, like the way they had it set up is so like perfect. It's it was so cool. The other thing that was kind of like cool about it was it's like you're sitting there watching Zach Brown band, Carrie Underwood, you like any of the artists, and you look around, and like they did they they pulled this off in a timely manner where it was like the some of the members of the crew, uh the drivers uh some of the like indycar staff they had time to like go and watch the concerts as well so like you're sitting around like there's the big pit of people but then around the edges uh where i was standing and david was for a little bit like there's just indycar crew members you know drivers just people also taking in the entertainment so that was kind of nice uh on a sketch on like a in the motorsports landscape you know when you, when you go to a bunch of races back to back because a lot of these Crew members and people also work in other series. You know, you're on a grind, and to be able to have an event where you just get to go and enjoy a concert at your workplace. I mean, that's pretty cool. That that that's uh that's a pretty neat thing uh to have happen. All thanks to high V. Uh that was the other thing on the weekend that like I'm just so happy with high Hy- like high V, what a great partner uh for IndyCar. Not to, you know, not a paid endorsement. So not to
0: not, not sponsored. Not to, Hashtag
1: not sponsored. Absolutely- blow their doors off with, uh, with kind things to say but I mean really like the entire event is all because of them and it was pulled off amazingly. Um, one thing that I have to shout out that was fantastic was when you would walk into like the concert pit they just had to- dozens of employees handing out free water. They just had cases of water from hy that they were just giving away to people. That's how it should be. Like more race tracks, and th- that needs to happen. We need water accessible. That's so that's so necessary when it's ninety degrees in the middle of Iowa. Like that's a no brainer. And they were doing it. It was amazing. So shout out to that. That was really cool. I was I was very pleasantly surprised to see that happening. Um, and then we went to David. We went to like what three high V's in our track?
0: Yeah, three high V's. I think it was one in in Illinois. We went to the one in Newton, Iowa, which is essentially the home track uh for yeah. or the home the home store for the the racetrack and then we went to another one oh, I can't remember the 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 name of the town but it was probably about 80 miles east of Iowa Speedway. That was definitely the best high V that we went to yeah. of the three uh for uh I guess we'll call it the race day deals that we got. Yeah, the race just, day deals. <laughs> just, well your reaction was so funny because I, I, I had been to that hy V last year and they were like chock full of like the you don't know Jack shirts and all that stuff. And so I said to you, I was like, this is a pretty good hy V and it's kind of out of the way. And I don't think a lot of like the racing people go to it. So, there you know, I was like, there could be some cool stuff in there. And and what did we see when we walked into this V?
1: Um, We saw lots of diecasts, IndyCar diecasts, uh, 118th scale diecasts for ten dollars yeah ten dollars ten whole dollars and I've been around a long time I've never seen them that cheap (laughs) never you know on all the just all the IndyCar stuff bit like and if you've never been into a high V, um I mean it's just any time of the year not even like it's not just around the uh the IndyCar event it's just like you walk in and there are 45 car Cardboard cutouts all over the store. Chris, we saw a Christian Lungard, uh, like cardboard cutout of just him.
0: Yeah. And that was the one in Illinois. That was nowhere yeah. close to Iowa Speedway.
1: Like they are just all in and we, we need more of that in the sport, but I'm glad thankfully that hy is doing it. Cause it is, it is so cool.
0: Yeah. Um. And yeah, you were trying to get me riled up and get in trouble on the podcast last week with talking about the concerts. I mean, like, uh, I, yeah, I'm not a concert person. You know, I was there for an auto race, but it was cool when I had a moment. and I had the most amount of time to go see uh, the Zach Brown band, which ironically was the one that I was making the most fun of on the podcast uh, last week. And your observation is absolutely correct. It was so cool to be um, at a race and just be able to walk across the pit wall and go see a concert. Um, that I didn't have to pay for. And I could then say, well, I've seen Carrie Underwood perform. I've seen the Zac Brown band. And, you know, in addition to that, you're standing around a lot of your, your friends and colleagues that work in racing. And then you kind of look over, you know, next to you and, Oh, Hey, there's Graham Ray Hall He's just in his fire suit. And he's chilling at the Zac Brown concert. That was kind of neat. Um, And actually I got to give the Zac Brown band a lot of credit because yes, they have a lot of like hillbilly redneck, meme songs, but during the concert, they surprised the heck out of me. They not only played uh, Layla, which is a great rock song. They played Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, and they played uh, The Devil Went Down to Georgia, which are three songs that I really like. And so to see them have that range, you know, not just be like a, a bro country band, but to actually go and do something completely different, like punk. I was like, okay, that's really cool. And I left Iowa Speedway respecting the Zach Brown band and being like, you know what I would recommend, like if the Zach Brown band is coming to your town and like your friends want to go to it, don't say no, you'll probably have a good time. You'll probably be entertained because that's the impression that I got at Iowa Speedway by them. So I give them a high endorsement because they entertained me and that's, and that's hard to do. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you say about, what Hyvee does and and what Penske Entertainment did to put on this event. Um, It's great because like I've, I think I said last week, like at the end of the day, Iowa Speedway was dead. It was going to turn into Nazareth if, uh, if, if there wasn't this opportunity. So the fact that this short little gem of an oval got revived in the middle of Iowa and it is in the middle of Iowa, there is not much around Iowa Speedway. And you have this big event, and then all of a sudden, you've got one of the big world's biggest artists, Ed Sheeran, show up to this freaking thing. And uh, what did he say on the stage, Kyle?
1: He said that. He asked if everyone enjoyed the race, and he said it was his first IndyCar race. He knew that it was IndyCar. Right. That's, that's cool. tough. That's tough for celebrities to get right. And, uh, yeah, he said he had a blast uh that was very cool ed sheeran was one of my favorites um because if you've ever this went viral a few weeks ago um but his whole performance there's no like because he's one person it's not like the zach brown band where it's like a band like it's zach brown band or like i mean carrie underwood and kenny chesney were the same where it was a band ed sheeran's just like him himself on the stage and uh he did this thing where he doesn't have a backtrack And he like will play a part of the song and then hit a thing on us with his foot and it keeps it going. And he is basically his own one man band and there's no backtrack. Uh, So he was very cool and he enjoyed the IndyCar race and he spent, he got to Christian Lungard, got to meet him or he got to meet Christian Lungard either way they spoke. And uh, he waved the green flag and he seemed to be having a heck of a time with Aaron Likens up in the, uh, the flag stand so well how that could was you could. Cool.
0: how could you not Aaron like is awesome
1: they even He's got the uh mbc got the shot of him like practicing and he looked really happy to be there yeah the other the other cool thing that the uh the the kansas city chiefs announcer said in the beginning uh because he like went up on stage and brought out ed Sheeran, which ed Sheeran was the only person who got like a uh like a like, like someone announced him onto the stage or whatever you would call that um, he has been on a world tour for the last five years. I think the the number was, but he's been on a world tour for the first for a long time, and this is the first time he's been back in the U.S. right now on his tour. And High V made sure <laughs> that they got him, which is freaking insane
0: <laughs> and for an IndyCar race on an oval the middle of Iowa just so we're clear (laughs) yeah like I feel like that shouldn't be understated what what just an absolutely insane event this is like the fact that this happened like this is a fever dream sort of thing but and that was what was cool about Ed Sheeran as you pointed out to me that they actually had two different stages at Iowa they had actual like portable stage that came in and off came on and off the front straightaway whether they were doing driver intros or actually uh having the 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 bands perform and then they had a secondary stage uh on the exit of turn number four where the artist could go and warm up and you pointed uh, out to me at one point that ed sheeran was actually like doing his warm-up on the stage that was like facing the racetrack so he was probably playing music and watching an IndyCar race,
1: yeah, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. I don't know what that stage was used for, for sure. But it was like facing those outside Turn Four suites. But we we think there's sound checks. But like on Saturday night, they were doing like something over there that wasn't just a sound check. They were like, they were they were having they were talking with somebody on that stage. They were they were entertaining people in the suite in some way. We just never got to see it. But they had a whole stage. In the inside of Turn Four, just facing the suites outside, like they they were doing a lot. High V was on the gas pedal all weekend long, and it was really cool.
0: Kind of insane, kind of insane to see that because like there's always there's so much negativity around Indy These stays no. and so much like pessimism, and a lot of that surrounds like partnerships and sponsorships and like wow, this isn't like the good old days anymore. But like at that event. And at those grocery stores, you would think IndyCar is the biggest deal in the freaking world uh, with the way that they promote it. And and it's like a fantasy promotion from years gone by. You, you know, if you were posting on forums in like 2008, right around the time of the merger, like people would go, well, why don't they do this and do that and do this and do that? And it almost feels like they just went on a forum like you know, 15 years ago, and just said, took all the ideas and to just shove it into one thing and create this crazy event. I, I mean, I you almost think it's like a prototype event for future car races. It's almost it almost feels like something that that maybe maybe the concept that they should take to other racetracks. I mean, we talked about the uh, the potentiality, and and I believe it's true that the Nashville a race is going to not only move downtown, but it's going to become the season finale of the IndyCar series next year. What's stopping you from creating an event like that in, uh, in downtown Nashville. And frankly, I think NASCAR kind of took some inspiration from the hy V event and brought that to Chicago. So like we're, we're seeing the influence of it already and I'm curious about where it will, uh, go and continue to go as uh, auto racing continues to evolve and adapt to uh, the current times i guess
1: yeah for sure um i mean like already this year i there were some year like the first year i went to nashville i don't remember there being like there might have been one like big name artist that i actually like knew um the second year i wasn't there i didn't really pay attention but this year we actually looked and like they have flow rider this year yeah and like
0: in Nashville, uh, Chris Jansen,
1: is... and uh, I think the other one, the the Motley Crew guy, Vince Neal, uh, Vince Neal. So, yeah, Vince I mean, like, Neil. they do have big names at Nashville this year already. So, I mean, bringing it downtown, you know, what are how big are they gonna go? Or, like, if you do this, like, you even mentioned, uh, I sh- probably should have been the one to mention this, but you mentioned, like, imagine if they did this at Mid Ohio, how many people, like, because I know this area, man, it's a big. It would have like Cleveland and Columbus would all congregate, and it would yeah. Be how
0: crazy would massive would Kenny Chesney concert be in uh in the middle of Ohio?
1: Oh, dude, Ugh. huge because you mean you know, like we're right in the middle of Cleveland and Columbus. You just boom. Maybe imagine if, if just, Ed imagine Sheeran if you, played Carb Day. i gonna make you really sad. Imagine if they uh, <laughs> brought back Cleveland and it's right, right next to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You could do something huge at the Cleveland Airport.
0: Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> put put that in the notebook. Write that down. That's a good idea. I mean, you could partner with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Bogo tickets. Go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Get get a ticket to the Cleveland Grand Prix. I don't know. <laughs> if they brought the Cleveland Grand Prix back, it would not be at the airport though. It would be like downtown. I just like I, I see that in my mind's eye it would be like cleveland's coming back everybody and it would be like the meme where everyone's going yeah and then it would be it's downtown and then you get the <laughs> get the meme of everybody being depressed i i you know what positivity the the event was awesome uh, it was it's great to see a, a partner that's that committed to indycar that's rare these that hell that's r- rare in racing period so uh, you know, from from like a general like big pictures perspective, it was cool to see all of that stuff, and it's cool that that Iowa Speedway continues to live on once a year um, with a big event. But obviously, we we had more than just concerts to talk about, and this is indeed a racing podcast. So obviously, it was a Joseph Newgarden beatdown, and. I guess before we start really talking about Joseph, because I have a point to make about Joseph that that I've observed quite a bit. And now I'm really observing it because we're starting to prove a theory that I've had about Joseph Newgarden and really just in general IndyCar drivers. But let's talk about everything but Joseph. Kyle, point some things out that you observed in the race that maybe people didn't see on TV because they were just showing Joseph the entire time.
1: Hmm my real takeaway one that i can remember just first right off the bat the first thing i remember i'll remember more but the first thing i remember was how impressive augustine canapino was in that first stint first second stint at the race two until he hit the wall like he was new garden was like two cars away from lapping him but canapino just kept passing cars and basically running away from becoming a lap down i thought that was very impressive that's part of the re- reason we interviewed him after the race uh yesterday um Devlin DeFrancesco having a great run on Sunday and then getting hit in the pits that's not going to get talked about enough i mean Devlin in general having decent you know like kind of hints of uh improvement and good things this season and it just being just right a hair short every time but he the improvement for him this year has been uh, amazing. That's not going to get talked about. Um, now it is. Now it is. Um, what else? I thought McLaugh- I thought it was very compelling to see McLaughlin uh, just kind of chasing Newgarden all weekend. And I feel like he learned a lot. He even talked in the press conference about, you know, being shown, learning a lot from his teammates and basically Joseph kind of telling him all the tricks. But he did say that Joseph probably kept a couple secrets to himself and uh yeah he just seemed a little bit frustrated all weekend because he was right there but joseph was just so dang good but you gotta remember this is we don't have a lot of ovals anymore so for mclaughlin this is probably not even his 15th oval in his career yet not even oh close. i bet it's
0: not even that not even close yeah we it's lucky if it's 10th oval
1: <laughs> yeah so i mean you gotta remember that so he's been looking impressive, even if you look at the short ovals the last two years, and Texas uh, as well. Uh, Indy, that's another – McLaughlin and Indy is a, is a conversation for another time. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Months from now.
0: Months from now, yeah. But,
1: I mean, yeah, that, that was a compelling story all weekend. Uh, that's all I can think of right now.
0: Okay, well, there, you gave me a lot to play with there. Yep. Uh, Augustine Canopino, Yeah. 100%. Like that was extremely impressive to me. Uh, that's why I really wanted to, you know, like you said, we, we, so here's the thing about the Hunkos coast guys. They don't debrief in the pit lane. They go straight back to the transporters. And once they go back there, you're, they're gone. You're not going to find them again. So uh, we rushed to the pits because I was, because I noticed how good Augustine was not only in that first couple of stints, But even after he hit the wall, if you were watching him on the racetrack, he was running around guys like Alex Pelot and Scott Dixon and sticking with them and coming through the traffic with them. So his car was definitely a top 10 car and he was driving like a top 10 driver. Yeah, he made a mistake, but every rookie is bound to make a couple of those, especially one who's a never raced on an oval before Texas of this year and B, has never raced on in an open-wheel car in his life before St. Pete of this year. So I think there's a little bit of leeway there, but what we saw I thought was impressive from him. And, um, you know, it's amazing that how much, you know, I think we talked about this too uh, between you and I about Augustine is from St. Pete. Or when did I first talk? I first talked to him at Texas. And even from Texas, like his English has improved He is freaking committed to this and that's going to make him a really good driver, probably year two. And I would say most definitely uh, if he gets a third year and I would imagine he will, uh, he's going to eventually be a guy that we're talking about on a regular basis as a front runner in this series. I have no doubt about that. Um, And so it's kind of cool to be there on the ground floor of Augustine Canapino, because I think a lot of people, you know, outside of our super nerd circle, right? Like the drivers say that they're really impressed with Augustine. I think people in the sport are really impressed with Augustine. People in Argentina are really impressed with Augustine. But outside of those people, the general population has no clue, I think, what this guy is capable of. Devlin De Francesco is another example of a driver that isn't getting the credit he probably deserves right now because, you know, even compared to his teammates, he's not making all that many mistakes himself. His pace has improved massively. I mean, he will qualify right with, you know, Colton and and Kirkwood and Grosjean. And in the race, more often than not, he's running right there with him. The big issue I would say with Devlin that I noticed at Iowa was he just didn't manage the traffic as well as his teammates did. And that comes down to experience in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'm sure that's a way he can improve in the future. But, you know, if you hadn't had, if he'd had the same traffic management skills as as Colton, he was driving the car, you know, as well as Colton at that point in the race where they were, you know, all together. In fact, there was one point where all four of the Andretti cars were all together. Um, but Devlin, I mean, it's, it's fairly, uh, I wouldn't even say it's an open secret. I would just say it's an open almost fact at this point that Devlin's probably not going to return to Andretti next year. Um, But I don't think he's out of IndyCar either. And so having good performances is a good thing for Devlin because it'll open up doors and opportunities for other teams that will uh, take him on uh, in the future. Uh, And then Scott McLaughlin, yes. Uh, I, I mean, here's the thing we have to remember about Scott McLaughlin is that It took Joseph Newgarden a very long time before he was like a regular race winner, race contender. And I look at Scott McLaughlin and I see a very similar driver and personality and person to Joseph Newgarden. And if you think about how much Scott has already won, yeah, he hasn't won on an oval yet, but I think it took Joseph forever to win on an oval too. So I think Scott's right there. I think Team Penske is committed to him. There's a reason he's driving an Indy car for them and not a stock car for them. Although I, I think we'd all like to see him give a, give a stock car a shot at some point. Um, and I think, I think he's a, their driver of the future. And he's someone who maybe can take over the reins from Joseph Newgarden. If, of course, Joseph Newgarden ever lets off the gas. And certainly he's nowhere close to that right now in his career. In fact, I think he's driving the best he's ever driven so i i don't know i i there's a lot of interesting things to take away from from this iowa race Uh, how about alex polo getting two top tens and a podium in the second race where this was a race that everyone including alex polo circled as one that was not going to suit him and not going to be one that he was going to gain a lot of points in and yet uh, at the same time everyone was handing joseph newgarden two wins two wins and um he 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 accomplished that and so a lot of folks were like dead set on hey the championship's back on cuz joseph's going to win two races in a row which he did but alex pelo was close enough that it's still what an 80 point deficit that's a race and a half <laughs> like it, alex pelo could still just not show up to a race and still have the points lead. So, yeah, sure. I think Joseph's going to show up big time at Nashville. That's a race that he very much wants to win, and there are certainly tracks he's performed very well at continuing on through the rest of the championship. Gateway's one of them. Uh, Laguna Seca's another one that he's pretty good at. I believe he won his championship at Laguna Seca. So, like, there's there's a lot of possibilities for Joseph to gain points on Polo, but Polo has just too many strong tracks the rest of the season. And now that he's gotten through Iowa, it's going to be really tough for anybody to beat him, in my opinion.
1: So how about that interview with Colton Hurta, where he said, one, two things on this interview. One, how about him wanting Iowa to be bulldozed? Two, how about... uh people him not knowing and from not a lot of people did know by the way (laughs) and from our uh kind of thought process a lot of people maybe not knowing that Felix Rosenquist was on the lead lap at the end of race two
0: yeah well I think that's probably why Graham Rahal chopped him because those two had kind of been running around each other most of the race And I still don't know how Felix got back on the lead lap. I I would I I wish we we did see his strategist Billy Vincent uh, when we were leaving the racetrack. Unfortunately, we were in our motor vehicle at that point, uh, so we just yelled at him, and we didn't have time for a coherent question. Um, But next time I see Billy, I will ask him about that because I'm kind of curious how they pulled that off because I think that was kind of a miracle, and not only that. I mean, let's be honest about Felix. If he doesn't get shot by Graham, he was hounding Joseph Newgard. He was there. Yeah, he was there. I don't know if he would have passed him. And and he definitely screwed up the last restart. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he didn't get an opportunity to really challenge on that final restart. But um, yeah, it was funny that Colton didn't know. Th- In fact, he was like like surprised Pikachu face when I was like. I because I thought because I didn't even remember like I kind of forgot Felix was in the mix because then it was all Penske and Ganassi at the front at the end of the race and I kind of looked at the board because I was like oh Colton you were the top non Ganassi Penske car and then I looked at the board to double check myself and I went oh wait oh Felix is up there and he was like Felix is up Felix They're like yeah he, he was like I thought he was a lap down I was like yeah most most everybody did so I I, I don't know how they pulled that off but it was certainly. Incredible, uh, Colton. I mean, I think he the, the the tongue was on on the cheek there when he said to bulldoze the place. I think his serious suggestion was to repave it so that everyone can can throw their their setup sheets out about old worn out Iowa. Um, and, and sure, I mean, like it. I don't think Iowa's ever been repaved since since the track opened in two thousand six. So it's probably due. The only issue with, with repaving Iowa is that you would remove all of the compelling racing that we see at Iowa. And yes, I know a lot of people will say, well, it's boring because Joseph's, you know, a shoe in winner." But I think if you're at the racetrack, it's like going to a really good IMSA race where yeah, sure. Penske's in its own class, but like, there's so much passing and so much on track action that a casual fan is going to go there and always see cars running next to each other and passing each other and spectacular moves and close calls and all of that. I think I was a good product. Like even if it's not a super competitive race, I would take a, a non competitive for the lead race of Iowa over any road course any day, because having a non competitive race on a road course where everyone just runs around in a line, that's not compelling. But on a – what a is it seven-eighths of a mile, right? Is that yeah. the size of Iowa? Seven-eighths of a mile. There's not a lot of room to hide. And when the field spread was whatever it was, six miles an hour a lap, you're lapping guys pretty quickly. I mean, there were some guys who were like ten laps down by the end of the race. And so when – that's at least ten times that the leaders passed at least one car in the field. I, that's That's at least visually interesting. I guess, is the way to defend Iowa right now. And if if you did repave it, like Colton suggested, you would lose that for a little while because Elio even talked to us this weekend about, you know, when he had success at Iowa, it was flat out because not only was the track in better shape, but they had more downforce than they do now. Would I take those flat out races at Iowa over what we have now? Probably not. I think what we have right now, even if it's Penske dominated at least it's a better show than if they all ran around the bottom flat out like they did when the track uh, ran its first race in 2007.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, uh, for a little bit yesterday, I was a little bit out of the loop on the pit stops and didn't uh, kind of lost what was going on for a second because it just happened so fast at Iowa. And they all pit on different laps. Yeah. But I was still just sitting there in awe of watching Joseph just muscle through traffic like an absolute legend. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's always entertaining, even even when not. There's not really a, a contest for the lead at Iowa. And he's a master
0: at that traffic. I mean, that's what I've realized over the last few races uh, on ovals is that you know Joseph did that at Texas, where he just sliced through the field, and uh, and he obviously does it at Iowa every year. But like the timing of some of those passes, like the ability for him to time because it's timing passes on lap cars. Sure, that's impressive. But when you can time a pass to pass both of your teammates for the lead at the Mm -hmm. same time in equal equipment, that was like – I sat there and I just had my mouth open like, holy smokes. That was impressive. And I guess that's where we can kind of come into the segue. The segue, I know. Uh, And we need to ask the Joseph Newgarden question. Because I think I've said this a few times. If not on this podcast, I've said it on other videos. Because I, I, I maybe I had a Twitter thread. It was something where I was talking about Joseph Newgarden and how you know he wins all these races, he wins all these championships, and yet it seems like, or at least it seemed, like he was overlooked. He was always overlooked as a champion, always overlooked as a driver, always overlooked as a winner. And I think the big reason for that was he didn't win an Indy 500. Now he's won an Indy 500, and all of a sudden everyone just now – all of a sudden realizes, wow, he's really good on ovals. Wow, he might be the modern-day Rick Mears. And I feel like we just have described every other driver in the field who has won the Indy 500 or even gotten close as the modern-day Rick Mears, except for Joseph Newgarden. It's it's incredible. and it, it sh- It's not surprising, but it's disappointing that IndyCar drivers are so heavily defined by whether or not they win the Indy 500. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. I, we all knew that it was like one last, that was the last thing that he really needed on the resume until he was going to be taken seriously. But I mean, I feel like we've just been saying for years that he was kind of underrated. And it the other thing about Joseph Newgarden that is like always been the thing is everybody talks about, Oh, he's the poster boy. He's the new American, you know, hero. He's the, you know, he he has everything you need to be the face of the series. But for a long time, he wasn't the face of the series. Everybody, meanwhile, it felt like for at least 15 years straight, probably not that long, exaggeration, but everybody said he has everything he needs to be the poster boy. Yet he wasn't. Is he now the poster boy, you think? You think the Indy 500 sealed the deal where finally he's that guy? I feel like maybe the last two years they've stepped it up. But I mean, Joseph Newgarden, you know, he's an American. The chicks love him. He, you know, he's funny. He has a personality, and they've shown that. And Joseph himself at least has shown that uh through his social media endeavors. Uh, I mean, is is this now the time where Joseph is uh, you know, becomes the face like he should be?
0: I think there's a good case to be made for it. I think that Joseph, you know, I mean, what you say, everything that you, you say is true and everything that you say, we've been saying since he came into the series in 2012. And even before that, when he was in Indy Lights, it's like, yeah, this guy has got it. Like he's got everything you want. I, I'm just going to say, I've said this before and people are going to disagree with me, but, and I understand why they're going to disagree with me. And, and, but, I think the big thing right now holding like and this is going to sound so stupid okay because Joseph Newgarden you said you said absolutely right he has the looks he has the personality he's got the talent he's got the all the wins he's won everything that's important in IndyCar right now uh he's good right now so chances are if you're a new fan going to an IndyCar race for the first time you're going to see a Joseph Newgarden win Okay, he's American, that works. He's he's, uh, a Midwestern AF, so that works with the fan base. A lot of things going for Joseph Newgarden. Here's the one thing he doesn't have, and this is going to sound so stupid, but when you buy any product in a store, right? it doesn't matter how good the product is. If the packaging is strange or inconsistent or you really don't understand what the packaging is, you don't necessarily buy the product. And here's a big thing with Joseph Newgarden and really like across the board with team Penske and IndyCar. He needs to have a consistent livery. This is so going to sound so stupid. I'm probably going to get flamed for this. If he does, he needs a, a livery because Dale Earnhardt had the Goodrich car. Jeff Gordon had the rainbow warriors scheme. And then he had the, the flame car. You know, Alex Zanardi had a car with a lightning bolt on it. Michael Andretti drove the Kmart car like we need to. And I I understand there's the Hitachi car, right? But the most the biggest win of his career, the the, the car that people are going to know him for when when he's dead and when we're dead and there's, you know, we're at the 3500 and people talk about Joseph Newgarden. They look at him in the museum. They're going to show that that shell car a shell car that might not ever run again. That might be the only time we ever see that livery on an Indy car. Sure. It won the Indy 500 and it's probably going to define his career. It might be the one time he runs it. So for me, like I would like to see And it's, you know, again, I I feel like a lot of people are going to misinterpret what I'm saying here, but I think that's the last thing he needs is like a consistent brand that you can go out and sell. This is These are the team colors for Joseph Newgarden. Go buy a t-shirt, go buy a die cast and it's going to last you for a couple of years. And you can build up some loyalty with that. I think that's the one thing. Like it's literally just the packaging at this point. That's it.
1: Yeah. I, I, I have to back you up here because I mean, it sounds, it sounds dumb. Right. And it, I know it's not easy because it's like, yeah, you have different sponsors It's a different age of racing where you're not running the same car every week. But I mean, it, it makes sense when you think about it, right? When you see Joseph Newgarden, if you go to an IndyCar race and you look out on track, you need a you need to be able to a, instantly identify who is Joseph Newgarden to be the star. Oh, look, there's Joseph New. Oh, I thought he was, didn't he run the Expo car. I saw pictures of that a few years ago. Oh mclaughlin's not in the ppg car now what <laughs> i mean like yep yep yeah it's it, it makes sense like it it does it, it sounds stupid and i i understand like the, the number one thing that's gonna get brought up here is like ah, oh, well they, they have to run different sponsors but i mean you, you just there needs to be like there needs to be a car that goes on the t-shirts and those t-shirts should be good for a few years. Imagine buying a new Joseph Unser, which with Hitachi you probably did, but you, now you're going to have to buy a Shell jersey. And then now you're going to want the the Shell shirt and da, 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 da It's helping merch sales, but it's not helping his identity.
0: But the next time he runs the Shell car is going to be a, next year's Indy 500. Yeah. Like and it's okay. Like if the Attachy car is the primary livery, it should be run at the Indy 500. And if you, if you have special liveries throughout the rest of the year, that's fine. Like that's like Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt had that. Like we're not pretending like he was in the Goodrich car every single race, but at your biggest race, it should be the car that you might see at another event the rest of the year. And I get like that. Joseph didn't win the Indy 500 for the longest time. So like, it didn't matter what his livery was, but now, now I think it really does. Now he needs a consistent look. And he doesn't have that right now. And I don't think they're ever gonna I don't think that's ever gonna change because of how Pensky's, you know, Team Penske's business model is, but like you also own the series. So I kind of feel like you have to get your your star in a recognizable, marketable livery and then sell the crap out of it. Absolutely. Which is so? It's gonna. It, that sounds so dumb, and I hate the fact that it sounds dumb because it sounds like so obvious. It's like, well, of course they thought of that, David. Well, I don't know. Did they? I don't. I, I'm confused. I'm just. I'm. I'm struggling with that one. And if it's not that, then what is it at this point? What What does yeah. Joseph have to do? <laughs> you know. Yeah, like he, it's been done It's everything.
1: been long enough where it's like, yeah, okay, this should be just going at this point. You know, like this. I don't know. Yeah. I, I. You know
0: what? And we talked about this, too, going home is we talked about the greatness factor of Joseph Newgarden and how when he does retire from this sport, which will probably be a long time from now. But what we are witnessing right now with Joseph Newgarden, particularly on ovals, is something that I think the, the stat came up a couple of times. The only drivers who have ever won five oval track races in a row are named A.J. Foyt and Al Unser, right? So we're talking about this level of driver with Joseph Newgarden. We are living in an era with extremely legendary drivers racing right now, all-timers, guys who are going to be up there in the all-time wins column, all-time championships, all-time Indy 500 wins. We're living in that era right now. And Joseph Newgarden is absolutely one of those drivers who's setting those bars for everybody else. Everyone else is going to be measuring themselves against Joseph Newgarden and against Alex Palou and against Scott Dixon. And they're all racing together at the same time, you know? So uh, I, I think we should appreciate it for sure. As, as fans, we need to appreciate it because it is really, really cool. And, and that's why, that's why I hate the, the complaints about Newgarden dominating Iowa. It's like, I mean, I don't know, like, if if Iowa had a different winner every race, then there would no- be nothing, like, memorable about it, I guess, Yeah. That makes sense. I don't know. I've and also that-
1: thought about that, where it's like, next year if we go and New Garden doesn't win, it'll be Huge a surprise. Story. It'll Huge be a story. story. You have to build up the story until you actually have one. Because we'll get into this with NASCAR later a little bit. I'm sure this will get brought up, where it's like, every race... When every single race is just like wreck, 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 wreck. wreck. Oh, crazy winner. Then the winners aren't crazy anymore. Nothing is actually crazy anymore because it, hap- it becomes normal, right? So if the normal is, oh, yeah, Joseph Newgarden's a boss and just smoked everybody. Then we go back next year and somebody puts a fight to him and actually beats Joseph Newgarden. Then, oh, my God, that was insane. He actually beat Joseph Newgarden.
0: 100%. And I guess that's a good way to segue since you brought it up where we are just segwaying. We're
1: getting really through well this right good today. We're, I feel like this is going this is, this is, better than normal.
0: It, <laughs> I know it's great. Isn't it? Uh, the NASCAR question, Kyle, you brought up something that I would literally like stopped our discussion on it in the car because I was like, this is a podcast like discussion. You were watching, we were, I was driving, and I yeah. could hear your phone was on and you were watching the NASCAR highlights. And you said something to me that I thought was very interesting because obviously we were either. Uh, I, let's see, what, what was did our day consist of? We went to the racetrack, we watched concerts, then we left before the end of the Ed Sheeran concert. We went to a steakhouse and then we kept driving. So we didn't get to see the NASCAR race live. But Kyle was watching the highlights in the car while we were driving home. And what did you say about the Pocono race?
1: Well, obviously, I was watching highlights. I want to watch the whole race so that I I don't sound like I'm just being mean to NASCAR for no reason. But by watching the highlights, it was like a 16 minute highlight reel. And it was just caution, 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 crash, 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 troubles, crash. And it's like, okay, was there like any good racing here? And if there was good racing, I would hope they were in the highlights. I, I'm not saying that Pocono didn't have good racing. I love Pocono. I saw, like, the crowd. It looked amazing. Uh, from what, like, the few bits of racing I saw in the highlights, it looked good. But it was like, man, why are the highlights just crash, 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 and then, like, the finish? They didn't even show Austin Dillon throwing the helmet, which is a thing. <laughs> yeah, that was a surprise uh,
0: omission, for sure.
1: But, like, I man, what and the thing is, there'll be that many like wrecks that NASCAR fans could just watch those highlights and just say that was a good race. Uh, Really is just restart after restart a good race. Is that what we're, we're going to, I'm going to argue this until I'm dead. I'm sure. But like, is that really a good race? Is that what we're, are we trying to say that just a caution fest is a great race? Is that really well,
0: it's a good NASCAR race. I mean, I think that's the big that's the big discussion and issue at hand here. And I think I even said this on the podcast yesterday or, or last week, or maybe I said it, maybe I said it in private, but I'll say it publicly now. You know, no matter what the situation is, you can't out NASCAR NASCAR. Yeah. NASCAR has a very specific product and they have a very specific fan base that expects a very specific product. So yesterday's race at Pocono, again, I didn't get to see it. I saw, I heard highlights while I'm driving, right? So I I don't even see any of this. The big thing that I took away from the highlights of Pocono is that, like you said, it was a lot of crashes on restarts, but I did see the Austin Dillon helmet throw. I did see that while I was editing uh, the end of day video. And I remember just thinking to myself like, oh, well, okay, there you go. I mean, that's all that they really needed. And now that's going to be in the, in every ad from, from now until the end of time for Pocono because Austin Dillon threw his helmet at one point. But, um, you know, I think that the expectation for an, a NASCAR race is different than the expectation for like an IndyCar race. Like you saw a great contrast. Actually, I, I would say if you watched Iowa and then you watched Pocono because Iowa had very limited yellows, very limited yellows. In fact, They surprised all of us because they didn't even throw the red flag to guarantee a green flag finish at the end of the race. They actually did all their procedural stuff and managed to get the race back green without actually interrupting the race at Iowa. And in the NASCAR race, there was one moment, I guess we should talk about at the end of the race um, that you pointed out to me when we were in the car that, that we were both kind of scratching our heads about, but at Pocono, it was very much, like, okay, crashing, 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 spinning on restarts. In fact, I I made this observation when I saw the Joey Logano crash. Is like, I feel like I see that same restart crash at every single NASCAR Cup Series race on an oval. I feel like I watch the same race a lot of times So I'm watching NASCAR. It feels like the same things happen. Like there's a crash in the middle of the field on a restart. And in fact, at one point, I think a stage winner won... uh uh, uh, won a stage after crashing earlier in that stage i think kyle larson did that which is just crazy to think about but those kind of things are what like is compelling to the the nascar fans i think is is that sort of thing where a crazy thing like that happens like holy crap kyle larson crashed and he still won the stage like okay yeah sure i mean that is impressive but does that mean it was a good race i think that's more of a strategy thing I guess I would ask you about the Ryan priest thing at the end, because you said to me in the car, like a lot of those cautions, a lot of those crashes probably shouldn't have been cautions. And then they don't throw a caution for an obvious car stopped um, on what, it's not the long pond straights, the whatever the second straight
1: after the tunnel turn,
0: after the tunnel turn at Pocono and it was two laps to go. They could have thrown the yellow and still gotten a green, white checker finish, but they chose to let the cars all come by with, in the hopes that Ryan priest would keep his car going. And then they threw the yellow and ended the race. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know that was a point of contention for you.
1: I have nothing nice to say. So I'm just going to say the mean things. And that's that I'm just so tired of this, like NASCAR debate at the end of races with green, white checkers and all that. My theory is my Theory, this is fun, Uh that they got a helmet throw. They got beef between Hamlin and Larson. Better yet, Toyota and Chevy beef, Hendrick and Gibbs beef, everything that they would die for. So they got to the end of the race. They could choose to throw a yellow, but I think they really wanted Denny Hamlin to win because then that just serves <laughs> up the beef. They met their. I think they thought that they just met their quota of things to talk about for the day. And then the third thing is like, wow, they didn't throw a yellow for Ryan Preece, so it gives people something else to talk about on top of it all. That's the only thing that I have, because NASCAR races are so, like, you talk about cookie-cutter cut, cookie racetracks. Right? We're getting to cookie-cutter NASCAR races at this point, because it's wow. like, wow. like that, That's a lot. How, how many times have we talked about, oh, they didn't throw a yellow for this, they didn't do that at the end of, like, a Daytona 500? It's like brother just come on (laughs) run the race (laughs) so
0: so that's very mean and i felt like i needed to get the tinfoil hat out at times
1: i just have (sighs) no other opinion on it like yeah (laughs) yeah they didn't throw the yellow for ryan priest okay that was kind of dumb because in nascar like like i because i agree with it like yeah you should have like not had a green white checkered and had a gimmicky finish like that was fine he spun you should have thrown the yellow Ended under yellow fine but it's so non it's such a non-nascar thing because they had the option i just can't believe that they had the option to throw the yellow and have a green white checkered and they did so i guess it's a nice thing i will say i will say very cool nascar for doing the right thing and ending under yellow uh because we didn't want another green white checker that tears up a bunch of cars so that that's that's the nice thing to say i guess uh, but I mean, I'm just like, uh, what? I'm not surprised. So there's not really a, you know, like well, they I, met their quota of the, the things to talk about on the day. So they said, screw it. Or, we want Denny to win. Let's go.
0: <laughs> I feel like there's been so much contention between NASCAR and Denny that they would never want Denny. To win. <laughs> but um, I I think the big the big takeaway that I have, and I've always had, there's a couple of things about NASCAR. To, to the point about the end of the race, consistently inconsistent is the way mm-hmm. I always hear NASCAR described. And, you know, the finishes, I mean, just wait till we get to the, the cutoff race for the playoffs. And
1: when Chase Elliott has to win to get in now.
0: Well, right. See, so like, we'll see how, how they call yellows on, because you know how that Daytona race is going to end unless it rains, right? We we know we know what to expect there, so that will be an interesting one. I feel like Xfinity has a has a has a controversy at least once a year at a plate track. I don't think they've had it yet, uh, and if they have, I've forgotten about it already. But uh, that usually happens in the fall, so we have that to look forward to. It just always feels like it happens. It also feels like it always happens at at like big events. It always feels like they do it at big races. The other thing is that I feel like, and I feel like this has always been the case, is that NASCAR fans in particular judge a race totally based on the finish. The greatest example I can ever give is the 2007 Daytona 500. Everyone remembers the finish. Everyone remembers how crazy that was. But if you actually watch that race, they're like spread out the entire race. And it was a late yellow that kind of set all that chaos up at the end. But for the most part, until Tony Stewart and Kurt Bush crashed each other, like it was a runaway race. And like, that's the kind of race that would be unacceptable. Like during, during, while it would be running, people on Twitter would be complaining about the 2007 Daytona 500. But then right at the end of the race, they would flip on a dime and say it's the greatest race they've ever seen. So that that's always the like the the dichotomy and the contrast and the the strange happenings with with NASCAR and its fans is that they're they're kind of bipolar, too. They 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 will hate a race and then all of a sudden they'll love it and they'll hate a track and then all of a sudden they'll love it. I will say this about Pocono. I love to see that place freaking packed. The infield was absolutely popping. The stands were absolutely jam packed. I don't like that they tore down all the classic victory lane and pagoda and all the stuff that they had there. But if they're gonna get crowds like that, if they're gonna get infields like that, more power to them. I'd love to see an independent super speedway continue to be able to make things happen. So big shout out to Pocono. Congratulations. Very Absolutely. happy
1: for you. I I hate to sound like that, like elitist. IndyCar fan that just hates on NASCAR. But like, I watch that, I watch the highlights and I do want to watch the race, you know, because I, from the racing I saw, I'm like, this has promise. But that even, that made me even more mad because I thought about it and it's like, without stages, that Pocono race probably has comers and goers all day, different guys leading, contention for the lead, strategy. It probably just plays out like a classic, awesome. NASCAR race that it can be, yet here we are. This is modern NASCAR racing. This is modern stock car racing, and it's just, it is what it is. It just it makes me upset.
0: But it doesn't have to be that. I didn't think Chicago was that.
1: yeah like, Well, didn't Chicago didn't have stages.
0: Right. They did. They right. had single yeah. file restarts, too. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It was, it, and it had a danger element to it. I think, I think there were some drivers who were at, Chicago who were like running scared, you know, they were scared of crashing, scared of hitting the wall, scared of looking stupid. And, um, you know, it was kind of a classic NASCAR race because it had all those elements combined. I don't know if you could totally recreate it. I don't know if you could do it on an oval, but, um, I, I mean, I still think NASCAR can be NASCAR that the NASCAR that we remember it. I think they choose to make it not the NASCAR we, that we remember it because, NASCAR has really, NASCAR is always fully, now, you know, credit where credit's do they do commit to doing this. And I don't know if I, you know, it's hard to agree with it, but they are fully committed when they make a decision, pretty much, they don't go back on it. And they've chosen to go down this path and they continue to commit to it. And they continue to hold fast and, and listen to their TV partners, whatever they want, they give it to them pretty much. and it's, it continues to work for them. I mean, they are continually the, the recognizable auto racing brand in this country, at least for right now. I mean, I guess we'll see with formula one in the future, how that ends up working out, but, um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to totally disagree with what they do, but, you know, sometimes I just kind of go, man, they really, really had a good thing there for a little while and something that was really easy to enjoy. And, and these days, You know, you turn in a NASCAR race and and I think cookie cutter race is a really good way of putting it, which is kind of. Wow. I've never heard it quite put that way. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, get me in trouble.
1: (laughs) Well, I have a lot to get you in trouble now. I actually started taking notes. I gave him a lot of ammo. I actually started taking notes. So, uh. Let's talk about who they sh- who IndyCar should uh, put in the two seater.
0: Okay. Get, elaborate. Elaborate. I
1: don't know. I don't know if this is going to get you in trouble, but I mean, you got pretty riled up about a certain.
0: Oh, well, I. Need to... Okay. So I was confused about your question because I was yeah. like, because I don't even know who they put in the two seater at Iowa. I saw him. Uh, no, no, no. But I don't know. I don't know who, who he was. Who should they? Uh, Jimmy Broadbent. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Why? Elaborate. Okay, well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one is he's, he's probably the biggest motorsports YouTuber on the platform who's, like, independent. Like, I mean, obviously, you can look at, like, Formula One or MotoGP, and they have a million subscribers or whatever. But uh, Jimmy Broadbent's the guy who appeals to the largest amount of your core fan base. Many of his videos get more views in a week than IndyCar races get on USA Network. Ooh. And I mean, no, that's, I mean, I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying that as that's how strong his brand is with the motorsports community and particularly the younger motorsports community. So I think a big thing, a big misconception about IndyCar and IndyCar racing is that they just have the, the hardcore motorsport fan on lock. You know, everybody who's a hardcore racing fan is tuned into every single IndyCar race glued to their screen. That's not true. I think that if you're in Indianapolis, yeah, pretty much every hardcore fan that lives in Indianapolis is glued to their TV 24-7 about IndyCar. Outside of Indianapolis, that is not true. There are a ton of hardcore racing fans all over this country that care about a lot of different stuff. We have friends who are you know, experts at sprint cars, Formula One, and sports cars, like, and that's their wheelhouse. But it's tougher to get them to go to an IndyCar race. I mean, my experience at the 24 Hours of Le Mans is a, is a very interesting contrast because I think the big thing that I noticed about Le Mans is that there were way more, like, I could tell, way more, like, nerdy, hardcore racing fans who buy merchandise and, like, eat, sleep, and breathe auto racing at Le Mans for the two weeks versus Indianapolis, which skews more casual. Now, obviously that makes sense because Indianapolis is a generational race. Obviously Indianapolis also has a, a better party atmosphere than the 24 hours of Le Mans. But to me, I think that IndyCar racing hasn't quite captured the younger motorsport fan out there because I do believe they exist. And so uh, I would advocate very strongly that that a guy like Jimmy Broadbent or other motorsports uh, content creators in that space should, if not get in the two seater, you know, do whatever it takes to get them out there and and cover a weekend or do something, you know, do a video, uh, have them meet some drivers, do, you know, because I I think that IndyCar the pro you know there's a lot of problems with IndyCar and and I've tried to be positive during this this podcast and we'll try not to get too far out in the weeds but i think a big thing with indycar um is that it's been stagnant for so i mean i was looking at at this ten dollar iv die cast that i bought today and i just kind of looked at it and thought for a second this has been the same body kit essentially the only big change since 2018 has been the the aero screen pretty much everything else visually on the race car and the sound has been the same since 2012 has been the same since twenty eighteen. And you compare that to sports cars, NASCAR, uh, even drag racing, sprint cars. They have things change over the course of time. Formula E, for God's sakes. All these things change. And, you know, I think hardcore motorsports fans really like the change. It compels them, gives them something to talk about. The less you have to talk about, the less things um, interest the hardcore fans. And when you lose the hardcore fans, you lose kind of your loudest supporters, your biggest advertisers. So one of those things that I would say is try to get those hardcore fans back and interested in IndyCar, and they'll help kind of grow your audience. That's a long way of answering the who should be in the, the two-seater question. But I think I think the other thing about the two-seater, would, I would say, and I mean, this is not like, let's just say right now it's not that deep with the two-seater, but I, I'm curious how much of an impact – Each of the people, I would love to see data on this: is how many, how much of an impact each of the people gets to be in that two-seater each race has on the event or has on bringing eyeballs to IndyCar.
1: There we go. The 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 Kyle gets David in trouble segment. A lot of time doesn't do a great job of getting you in trouble. I mean, it kind of does because they don't. Nobody likes being told what they should do, especially from David Land. But uh... These
0: these are merely friendly suggestions i am <laughs> but, uh, merely friendly
1: and uh they, it's the part of our it's a part of our podcast that doesn't always stay uh positive which is uh you know which is not great but once i find a get david in trouble that 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 stays positive i will let you know we'll, we'll get there <laughs> was that
0: negative i don't know <laughs> oh my god see i don't that that makes me nervous when you answer like i don't know to i mean it was i i'm not trying to be negative I'm trying to be constructive. I feel like what I said was constructive because that's something I can clearly identify as a place because like, yeah, like if I was being negative, I would say something to the effect of, oh, well, Ed Sheeran doesn't appeal to IndyCar fans. So why is he there? But like, it's obvious why Ed Sheeran was there. He moved the needle. He brought people there to hopefully see the race and enjoy it. He actually remembered to talk about IndyCar. He met Christian Lundgaard. He did everything a celebrity needs to do at an auto race. He did everything right. And so he was a great addition. Yeah, I get he cost a lot of money, but I would say he did a lot for that event. Like that was a huge positive. In fact, all the celebrities, Carrie Underwood was on a car and tweeted about how she was on a car. Like, great. That was awesome. More of that, please, sort of thing. I don't think that's, I'm not saying that that's like. I'm not saying they're doing a bad job by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that's an area that sometimes gets overlooked because IndyCar has this reputation that they're all about hardcore racing fans. When I don't necessarily think hardcore racing fans pay as close attention to IndyCar as we think they do. That's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, you are absolutely right. I think uh, on the you know on your advice, I think that genre like the people who watch uh like jimmy broadbent are gonna be kind of the they are gonna be the hardcore younger racing audience that you want you want to watch IndyCar car racing you want them to at least i mean at least brand awareness like you at least want them to want them to look at this car and say yeah that's an indy car and hey IndyCar car racing is pretty cool but I feel like we've rambled a lot now, so we, we can move on to uh, we can move on to the Super Chats.
0: Okay. Well, the Super Chats are probably going to get us in trouble, too. I was looking at those and going, oh, boy. Oh, these are, boy. These are spicy. We've got a lot of spice today. So let's start with Antar Das, who says, David, what are a few things you learned covering races that you did not know just as a fan? He also said Hamlin did nothing wrong. Uh, I think you'd have a little bit of disagreement there, Uh, but, Oh man. I mean, I've learned a lot of things, a lot of things I probably didn't need to know, but I, I think that the biggest thing that I've learned. Hmm. The biggest thing that I've learned and it kind of goes into like, like we have a meme on the podcast. Like the previous segment was named David gets in trouble. You don't, Understand on the outside, I certainly didn't, especially like IndyCar. But like, pretty much every motorsport is like this. NASCAR is definitely like this. Formula One, I'm pretty sure, is like this too. You think it's this big, huge, scary thing that you can just kind of say whatever you want into the ether and no one will ever hear you. That's not true. When you have 50,000 people watch a video about IndyCar, you have to like. Like And I could never have fathomed this until I actually got in the paddock and started meeting people who had either seen or been influenced or heard about me. And then you go, uh-oh, when you realize that it, IndyCar racing is not like the NFL, where you could get a v- video with 50,000 views and, and Roger Goodell is never going to hear or see anything to do with you. You can operate in that little space and never have to worry about anything. That's not the case in racing. If you have that kind of a platform, you're not just going out to fans, you're going out to the industry. And so that's the big thing that I've learned. (laughs) And that's a positive and a negative, by the way. Um, There's definitely things that I've noticed that we do here or we talk about here that I don't want to say have influenced things, but I definitely think that There have been, I know that there have been discussions actually about some of the things that we've done and discussed and whether they change anything based on those things, you know, that's, that's irrelevant. But, you know, I think what we do here does kind of drive discussion within the sport positively or negatively, I guess, is up to your interpretation. But I think that's the big thing that I would, you know, advice I would give to anyone in racing or thinking about getting into racing is that like, it is a small industry it's small
1: everybody knows
0: everybody yeah uh yeah anything to add to that Kyle
1: anything yeah no er- everybody that? knows everybody we uh uh I learned this weekend at Iowa that a lot of people like listen to the podcast on did, the drive yeah. to Iowa, which is exactly what we started this podcast for it's when we were driving to races and you have like an hour and a half to kill and yet there's something new to listen to you know, the, the people who saw me in Iowa and said that they listened to us, uh, us two in their car while they were on the way to a race. Thank you. Very appreciate it.
0: And if you're listening to us on Spotify, next time you pull over for a pee break, leave us a five-star rating. <laughs> there you go. That's now that's what I call podcasting. Uh, Ari Gomez says, I don't care if Joseph dominated Iowa. But I did enjoy tuning in for race two. The race didn't drag on, and there were fierce battles throughout the race. I would agree with that. I mean, there was enough stuff at Iowa to keep it entertaining, even if the battle for the lead wasn't, like, super, super, like, you know, it wasn't the Indy 500 this year. But, like, you can't expect every race to be. It wasn't Texas, but you can't expect every race to be like that. If every race would be like that, I wouldn't be able to say – yeah, Texas was a great race, wasn't it? I don't know. Uh, Taurus says, when do we get a downtown Indy street race? <laughs> uh-huh. That's that's a joke everybody says. I, I hope never, but you can never count anything out at this point. There were LMP3 cars going around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway today. By the way, yeah. uh, breaking kind of breaking news about IMSA. Uh, and again, there's nothing confirmed yet. But I can tell you this because he posted about it on LinkedIn, believe it or not. Uh, James Hinchcliffe was testing a GTD Porsche at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway today, so presumably
1: there's a reason for that. <laughs> and I guess yep. we'll wait for the official announcement. This is this a good time for me to tell my uh, my story from today? My my <laughs> my my being one of the first to see LMP3 at IMS. I think Primus. so. Yes, I think this yeah. would be a good time. Yeah. So I left. Uh, I left David's place, and before I headed off to Ohio, you got to stop at IMS. I, I do it almost every time I leave because you just got to go there and see it. So I went to the IMS, bought some things, got in my car, literally started my car, put my like my home address in the in the GPS, and I started to pull away. And then I heard a car, and then I, I was looking at the short to one and two, and I saw a green a wing with a green end plate on. I was like, that's got to be IMSA. That's got to be an IMSA car. So i immediately repark my car and go and look and there were two lmp3 cars two gtd porsches uh one of them was the buddha car i love that car um and then there was like two or three ferrari challenge cars uh a tcr alfa romeo uh and then like three porsche cup cars so it was a heck of a multi-class race going on uh at ims today so that was cool very timely that they just decided to go out on track as i was leaving uh, thank you, IMSA, for doing that.
0: So it's not MC yet. Um, so that's been going on for for really the majority of the last two weeks, believe it or not. Uh, and I did say GTD for those in the chat who are thinking I'm saying GTP. I know it's confusing. Welcome to sports car racing, Grand Touring Daytona. Uh, that's the that's the one with the green number on it. If you're keeping track. Um, but uh, the over the past two weeks, they've been testing all sorts of IMSA equipment uh, on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. Uh, My understanding is it's just a bunch of teams kind of getting together and saying, we need testing time at this new track uh, for us anyway, meaning us, the IMSA teams. And so you'll get three or four teams from different classes, uh, you know, coming together and buying the track out for the day. So uh, it's been a surprising amount of track activity, to be honest with you for this IMSA race. Uh, There've been cars going around it pretty much for two weeks straight And there's actually an official IMSA test that we will be attending and covering on Friday and Saturday. I won't be uh, able to attend the one on Saturday, but I'll be there on Friday with a report on on the goings-on at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That test in particular is an official IMSA test, which will have the four, or sorry, five classes in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship testing as well as the two classes from the Michelin Pilot uh, series, so I'm kind of curious how that's going to work, how they're going to divvy up the track time between those two series. Um, but hopefully, uh, we'll have some some interviews and some some track footage and stuff from that uh, because uh, I know IMS is very excited about uh, going to Indianapolis, and uh, IMS is excited to have them, and we're excited to cover them. So uh, it'll be good back to get back on the IMSA trail. I've I haven't been on it since. Since Sebring of this year, so it'll be cool to see the the WeatherTech Sports Cars again and to cover them. Uh, we're planning on doing two more races this year uh, from the IMSA coverage perspective, which would be Indianapolis and Petit Le Mans. Okay. Oh yeah, I got to change the ticker. We're still getting in trouble. Um, another one from Taris. Taris says three in a row here. Uh, so uh, taris says, "Well, a Joseph Newgarden, hot off of two wins." Bring the fans out in force for Nashville. Um, man, I don't, this is what's weird about Joseph in Nashville. I I don't, it never feels like he has like a, and I've been to the last two races. It doesn't feel like, like the town is like behind him. It's not like a home team. Like it's not like the Titans are playing. I'm sure he has a lot of support. And I know that Joseph himself puts a lot of pressure on himself to win that race. But I don't think it's like when Connor leads the Indy five hundred.
1: Or like you know? it doesn't have the same it's not the same like vibe as Pado at Texas or not even close to Ray Hall at Mid Ohio. Ray Hall, Mid Ohio is a that mm-hmm. that 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 rivals or is more impressive than Connor leading the Indy five hundred, I have to say. It, it, it's insane. Yeah, it's strange. So, but joseph just uh it's not the same not the same energy even though it's his home track which is disappointing which is another key point another thing to bring up when we say man is he the poster boy yet is he the 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 one
0: uh i mean again he he ticks every box he does so especially now you would
1: think you would think that at his home race you would have that same crowd you would hope that the people there would be enough joseph fans from where he's from, that when you go to Nashville, every person is wearing a New Garden shirt. You know, you would well, hold. we're
0: gonna, we're gonna see. I think we're gonna, we're gonna have that answer very soon. Um, and I can tell you this, uh, when I went, I went to the IMS Museum last week for the advisory council meeting, and I went in the gift shop and they had some new Joseph New Garden Indy 500 stuff, and the actual 500 winter shirt had almost sold out. And I had yet to see that available for purchase. So that was probably a good sign. And I know I saw at least a couple of people at Iowa wearing his jersey, like the new shell jersey. So people are definitely like buying in Joseph Newgarden as the Indy 500 champion for sure. So Nashville, that'll be an interesting case study about the popularity of Joseph Newgarden in his home state. Of course, Nashville is now kind of a home state for a lot of, uh, or a home city for a lot of IndyCar drivers these mm, days. Yeah. Uh, Taurus says Penske should sit his sponsors down and say, gentlemen, one of you has the chance to be immortalized as new gardens, permanent sponsor bidding starts at $50 million.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, well, you could pay the teams a lot more money. If, if Joseph got uh, $50 million for a sponsor, uh, I think they'd probably be happy with eight to 10, but I think that, um, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of surprised the only big the big thing like to to make one more point about the sponsor discussion is back in the Marlboro days, yes, you had like Marlboro as the primary sponsor, but you did have other like associate sponsors on that car that were major. You had like Hugo Boss and you had Mobile One and you had Detroit Diesel. You had prominent sponsors. I think General Electric was on the car, Miller Lite was on the car. You could probably put all of the key sponsors on the Hitachi car in prominent spots and it would be fine. You know, I I don't know. That's just a thought there. So again, Penske is going to do things the Penske way and they're not going to listen to the, uh, they're not going to listen to a blogger. I guess we'll say Um, racer gin 3d says should, Oh no, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. That's mean. Uh, should Stingray Rob not be allowed to attend the next race? That was ridiculous," says racer Jin 3D. So he's referring to the Stingray Rob incident where he left the pits. Uh, was uh, it looked like he was waved out. He he left the pits. the The crew realized it, but Stingray was already gone. Uh, He continued on around the track slowly. The wheel came off. Uh, on the entrance to turn four in Iowa, and it went up the track, almost got hit by Connor Daly and a couple of other cars. And obviously we know after the Indy 500 this year, everyone's real sensitive about that and the potential uh, consequences of a tire going into the stands. We all know that danger. We're glad that nothing bad happens. Uh, I believe he was disqualified from the race for that. So, um, and, and let's, I mean, one of the big things that I took away from the Iowa weekend that we haven't even talked about is the fact that there were a couple of really weird penalties. That kind of came out of nowhere. One was uh, levied against Jack Harvey for causing a collision at the start of the Toronto race. It was a at eight or nine position grid penalty, and then uh, Kyle Kirkwood was parked for the morning warm up for race two because he missed the weigh in after practice on Friday. So I think there's a chance that you could see. Stingray, Rob, um, have some sort of penalty levied against him in the next two weeks before we get to to Nashville. Um, But I I don't know. I mean, is that Stingray's fault? Is that the crew's fault? I don't know where you assess blame on that one specifically. Uh, We got a few more Super Chats here. Vincent says, first time catching one live to have have enjoyed every episode going to the Speedway for the first time for the IndyCar NASCAR race in a few weeks. Hopefully we'll see another Erickson win live after Nashville 2021. So Vincent went to Nashville in 2021. Uh, Congratulations. You saw a hell of a race there. Uh, He did also send 1091. So I appreciate you uh, uh, putting the number in there. The buddy was your number. Uh, Napa Racing fan says, uh, "Why do some NASCAR fans hate road courses and some IndyCar fans hate ovals? Not counting Indy, Nashville 2024 season finale? Question mark What is the future of SRX? Question mark So the first thing I would say is Nashville season finale in 2024. I would say, I would say, uh, take it to the shank. Uh, what's the future of SRX? I would say it's it will continue on. Uh, apparently the, the, the TV ratings are acceptable right now to ESPN, at least according to the last Adam Stern tweet I saw. So, um, I'm sure it will stick around to made for TV product after all. And I guess I'll, I'll leave this one up to Kyle, or at least to get us started. I mean, why did NASCAR fans hate road courses and IndyCar fans hate ovals, or at least some of them do?
1: I don't know. I mean, David, you and I had this discussion because David, I pointed out that David is a, is a lot bigger of an oval fan than I am. I am actually a big road course guy. I like turning left and right. You know, I, I my first indie car races were mid-Ohio. I live closest. I mean, I did live to Mansfield close to Mansfield Speedway after all. But I mean, the main track I grew up going to was mid-Ohio. So I mean, the the big I, I'm more of a road course guy. I enjoy road course racing. Um but it's probably because I mean you look at it, NASCAR's a more you dominant oval schedule, and I don't know how many NASCAR fans actually hate road courses, it's probably the oversaturation of them now in their series. Um, but I, I mean, I wouldn't say IndyCar fans hate ovals, I don't think it would be vice versa. I think IndyCar fans love ovals. there's not a lot of them. So, I mean, of course, the fan base kind of has to be predominantly road course based when there's you're watching if you're an IndyCar fan, you are watching a lot of road courses. Which I happen to prefer, which is good for me, but I I don't know.
0: I I think I think in both cases it's a vocal minority first of all, um, and and it's weird with IndyCar especially because like IndyCar, if you look at the history of the sport, it has predominantly throughout its history been an oval based series, not a road racing based series. It's an it's always been an oval series that goes road course racing and not the other way around. That's more of a modern, and we're talking in the last 20 years, sort of interpretation of what IndyCar is, uh, a road course series that sometimes goes on ovals. NASCAR has always been an oval-based series uh, that sometimes goes to road courses. and I think you're right, Kyle, that a big thing with NASCAR and road course racing is that there's more of it than there ever has been on the schedule it was always a novelty before. And now it's become much more of a, an integral part of the schedule and people are getting a little bit tired of it. But I, I, you know, I, I, I like track variety. I think that's the big thing for me. Yeah. I probably prefer ovals, but that's not to say that I don't love absolutely adore road racing. I think the big thing is you got to have a balance. And I think I said that on a podcast, a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago, someone asked, you know, what's your perfect Indy car schedule. And I said, it's, 50 50 ro- ovals and road courses and then you split it again you go 25 short ovals 25 super speedways 25 road courses and 25 street courses and that's that's how you. that's the perfect schedule to me and in fact nascar is probably the closest to that <laughs> if you think about it and that's kind of depressing but um yeah i think it's it's all about balance for me i i I don't want to see an all oval IndyCar calendar. I don't want to see an all road course NASCAR calendar, but I think I want to see NASCAR racing on road courses and I want to see IndyCars racing on ovals. Boom. Uh, NYR Metro says David Land versus Jimmy Broadbent's and IndyCars and spicy Bison burgers. Let's go. IndyCars back to the Northeast, please. Boston Glen, Baltimore Jersey. Okay. So let's, let's talk East coast IndyCars for a second. Pocono needs some improvements. I've I've mentioned this ad nauseum. The biggest issue right now with IndyCars racing at Pocono is the walls around, particularly the tunnel turn, but even turn three, they're too low right now. They need to be raised a bit because if you look at the crashes, the big crashes of the last few years at Pocono, that you know, we're taking the Justin Wilson issue out of that because that's a separate, you know, that was an act of God, if let's let's be honest with it. And now we have the aero screen which would hopefully prevent a similar accident from happening. But the three major crashes at Pocono, the last couple of times they went there, were Charlie Kimball in 2015 in qualifying. Uh, they were Robert Wickens in 2018, and they were Felix Rosenquist in 2019. And in each of those cases, the car got up on top of the wall, kind of skimmed on top of the safer barrier, and then impacted a fence post. So, you know, the, the obvious answer to the question to keep the cars out of the catch fence at Pocono would be to raise the walls, maybe double the height because like no one, no one outside of the front straightaway at Pocono is watching the cars from outside of the track anyway. So my, my solution is simple, raise the walls as high as you can make them and strengthen, strengthen the catch fencing. And you're good. I think you could race Indy cars at Pocono again, but until you do that, you can't. Um, The Watkins Glen is probably the most realistic, but at the end of the day, they didn't get a great crowd when they raced there. Um, so they would have to look at promotion and all that stuff to get it done. And I just don't know if they're interested in that. Baltimore will never happen again because of the politicians. And New Jersey doesn't have a, a, a proper IndyCar track. So you'd have to do a street circuit. Formula One tried that. And uh, once again, they ran into political issues. So I, I don't know. I don't know what what the solution is in the Northeast. I guess the only thing I could say would be Loudoun if you're going to go, go to the Northeast. Kyle, Northeast Racetracks. Am I forgetting any? The IndyCar is compatible?
1: Um, yeah, You should race at Watkins Glen. You should race at New Hampshire. I'm trying to there
0: think. we go. All Lime right. Rock would,
1: Lime Rock would be so dumb, but it would be so cool.
0: You know, we were just talking about, we, we were sitting in the hospita- Honda hospitality with a lot of our friends and colleagues, and we, we were watching Lime Rock. And we, I, I kind of brought up the fact that you could crash into the woods at Lime Rock very easily, <laughs> and I just yeah, don't know if indie cars yeah. at Lime Rock would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Maybe an I Maybe we'll try an I race there at some point. Oh wait! Ah! oh, I didn't mean to say that. I now I'm really gotten in trouble. Oh no! <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs>
0: sorry. Is Lime Rock an R factor too? I sure hope it
1: is.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Speaking of New Jersey Motorsports Park, the chat is talking about that. Uh, We actually did have a discussion, Kyle and I, about New Jersey Motorsports Park because we were having a big discussion about Grand Am because believe it or not, and maybe this is where we'll finish uh, (laughs) our discussion and wrap everything up, is that uh, Grand Am ran a race at Iowa Speedway uh, the Daytona Prototypes raced on the road course at Iowa Speedway. There is a road course at Iowa Speedway. And they also raced at New Jersey Motorsports Park, which was another oddball track. In fact, in a test, Scott Pruitt literally almost died at New Jersey Motorsports Park in a Grand Am crash. But, Kyle, I want you to talk about the Grand Am race that took place at Iowa Speedway. Because the people have got to know about
1: this. Well, we, we watched... Uh, the IndyCar race from the road course. We there were tires. There's there's guardrail and tires and, and curbs and sand traps, on the inside of Iowa Speedway <laughs> where there was a Grand Am race. The curbs, if you wa- if you go go look this up, go watch this race on YouTube. Uh, once we're done here, go watch that race because like the curbs were like yellow and red, and the curbs were the same color still today. Probably still the same. Probably were never repainted after that Grand Am race. That was amazing. I'm. They have the Iowa Rovel. Speaking of iRacing, racing, funny enough, they have the Iowa Rovel in iRacing. racing, and the uh, the classic uh, Grand M car is legacy content. So maybe we'll do an i race of that. Maybe maybe we got to do that. Maybe that's yeah. what we got to do. Yeah. But uh, the best fun fact about the Iowa Grand M race, which became a discussion over two days between David and I. Uh, until we finally got the research done to prove this, but Mark Martin, the man himself, started a Grand Am race for Southern Motorsports in a Daytona in a, prototype in a Riley Lexus, I believe. It was a three-car, uh, and this happened to be his only start at Iowa Speedway. Probably his only start in Grand Am. Had to have to fact-check that. But, yeah, he made Mark Martin made his only Iowa Speedway start in Grand Am.
0: Just, um, unbelievable, yeah, be, be, and that's so funny because like Iowa Speedway was so like if you didn't say indie cars at Iowa Speedway, you would be talking about the Bush series at Iowa Speedway or nationwide at Iowa Speedway. And Mark Martin is so tightly associated with that series it's amazing to think of the fact that mark martin's only start is in the only road course race in a sports prototype Mm -hmm. at iowa speedway at night they ran this race at night at iowa speedway on the road course an all prototype field they also had an all gt race because they had so many entries that they could not have a multi-class race at iowa speedway a road course race grand am 2007 the 2008 i we, maybe someday we'll talk about this the 2008 economic crash ruined auto racing i'm just going to throw that out there because 2007 if you look back on that year that was pretty lit just i'm just gonna say it what a fun what a fun wacky time that was but uh we're a long way away from that <laughs> but we have wackiness later on this week. Uh, like I said, uh, IMSA testing at Indianapolis. I'm looking forward to getting out to IMS once again. First time I've really been out uh, covering a race uh, at IMS since, obviously, the Indianapolis 500. Uh, got a couple weeks to Nashville, and then a couple weeks what after else? that. Is- what the else PT. are
1: you doing this weekend, David?
0: I am uh, being a pit reporter for SCUZA cart racing at Newcastle Motorsports Park. So if you want to tune in and see me, completely is, out of my element fish out of water flopping on the ground uh i will be at a go-kart race and somehow which, just flubbing every line and so uh if you thought your local pit
1: reporter was bad just wait till you saw david land do it. which is live on youtube on the kart chaser channel i thought I, was, I just go. said that well i just wanted to i wanted to i want to push that baby home
0: Pushing it home, baby. You can watch up. me live and free on the Cart Chaser YouTube channel.
1: <laughs> Except for the finals, you gotta you gotta pay buy the, you gotta pay, the you got, yeah
0: you gotta pay for the finals. Uh, yeah, you can do fine. that.
1: You can you can you can pay you it one time. You can pay it one time and then you can cancel it. All yeah. right, but
0: you can pay for my pit reporting. You could do that if you want. Yeah, exactly, it's gonna, guys. Yeah, Eat. it's gonna be great. Eat. I'm gonna try to get I, if I don't get swung on by a cart dad before the end of the the race then we, then. we will have failed yeah so yeah. that's what i'm gonna do because i don't care about getting in trouble at the go-kart racetrack i do care about getting in trouble at the indy track so it's gonna be we're gonna be burdened up it's gonna be amazing
1: so david will not be at nashville i will be at nashville the boys just booked the airbnb we're gonna have fun at nashville we're gonna have a great time if you see me say hi we're gonna be at the uh i, will I have a beer be at- he's legal oh yeah I will. <laughs> we're gonna be. I'm definitely gonna be at the Chris Jansen concert. I found out this weekend. I'm. A, I'm getting back into country. I guess. I. I don't know. But uh, yeah, we will be in Nashville. I will be in Nashville having fun. Dave will not. And then we will be at the uh, the Indy Road Course race. So probably not. Well, you no... the Knoxville
0: Nationals, right? And then the Indy Road yeah. Course race. Yeah. Well, I'll be.
1: I'll be at the Indy Road Course race on like Thursday and Friday. Technically just Friday, but I, I mean I'll be. In the area on thursday and then i'll go to knoxville on saturday and then i'll drive back for the cup race so stay tuned for that i there's no way there's no way i do this this year because i've done this before but there's no way i do it this year without like doing content out of it like th- that that is worthy of like talking about knoxville and a vlog that is like worthy of a vlog going from iowa from Indy to Iowa, back to Indy, and, and being at a, the Knoxville Nationals and a Cup Series race in two days—that is just. And he's I'm doing that again. Before.
0: He has done this before. I've done uh, it before. Absolutely. We had it. the
1: trial run, and then this year we're we're doing it. We're gonna we're gonna vlog it. We're gonna have, we're gonna do it. All right. Unfortunately,
0: but, I, I will not be at the Knoxville Nationals because for some reason I have a dutiful responsibility to be at the second
1: Indy GP. He's race. going to the oops, all-IMS road course race, but I will be at the <laughs> Knoxville Nationals. And, uh, yeah, so probably no podcast next week. I'll say that now because there's not really a You say that now, dude. I'm trying to jinx the, it. All I'm the IndyCar
0: contracts are, like, up on August 1st. I'm we are going to have an it. avalanche of stuff happening on August 1st.
1: I'm trying to jinx it because, I mean, unless unless everything hits the fan probably no podcast next week but then podcasts after nashville because this is supposedly a bi-weekly thing you know we're not, but unless it hits the fan we're just gonna say it now see us in two weeks yeah
0: well the the post brickyard well pre-brickyard and post brickyards uh post nashville right? post nashville well post nashville pre-brickyard right
1: yes or, yeah there, you finally got it
0: yeah so so that'll be That'll we'll definitely have a lot to talk about because Nashville gave us a lot to talk about the last two years. And obviously the Brickyard is, is, is to me, I'm hyped for it this year and I have been hyped for, you know, you say I don't like road racing, but this is the most hyped I've been for a NASCAR race in a very long time. And it's probably the last road course race for NASCAR. It's probably the last uh, uh, road course race, a uh, second road course race anyway for IndyCar going forward. So uh, it will be a historic weekend at the Brickyard. Um, so, uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting for sure. And Kyle's definitely going to try to do something wild.
1: Mm-hmm. So Absolutely.
0: get Pillow as a guest next week to announce who he's driving for. I mean, the you know, decision. what? the
1: decision, the live decision, on. <laughs> yeah. you know
0: what? I mean, I'll, I'll, I will contact my friends in the Ganassi PR department and be like, look, man, you got good news. You got good news. This is the place to announce it. All right. You're not gonna get any bigger hype than this. ESPN ain't calling you. David Land will call you. David Land will always call you. So I don't know, man. It's gonna, it is gonna be wild though. August 1st, that's when stuff is. I will my phone will be buzzing, I'm sure, that day. There's no doubt about it. As is everyone else's phone in the IndyCar sphere. So thank you guys so much for listening and watching to the podcast. Uh, leave a like on it. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a rating. If you're listening to it on a podcasting platform. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. It was so great to see all of you at Iowa Speedway and uh, we'll continue to see you throughout the season until then. Thank you guys for listening.